Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to The Playlist Podcast, a weekly discussion of films and TV. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of The Playlist, and this week we have something a little different than usual. On this episode of The Playlist Podcast, we have an in-depth conversation with a very special guest, Rolando Rodriguez, the CEO and President of Marcus Theatres. For those unaware, Marcus Theatres is the fourth largest cinema chain in the U.S. and fifth largest in North America with more than 1,100 screens. And with 2020 upon us, we thought it would be a perfect time to speak with an expert on the theatrical release business about the struggles of 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as what the exhibition industry is going to do to make sure that it survives and thrives in the new year. Over the course of the conversation, Rolando talks about lessons learned from 2020 and the pandemic, which shut down Marcus Theaters and every other cinema for most of the year. He also explains why Christopher Nolan's Tenet wasn't the savior of the theatrical experience that many were hoping for when it was released last fall. And of course, we dive deep into streaming and how theaters and platforms such as Netflix, Disney Plus, and HBO Max can coexist and prosper together, hopefully. But before we dive into the interview, I want to mention a couple of things. First, this was recorded before the holidays, so when he makes mention of the holiday season at the end, the end of the year, he's talking about December 2020. And also, bear with us regarding the audio. We recorded this via Zoom, and there were a couple of hiccups, but nothing that drastically alters the interview. And as always, the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Discourse, Be Real, The Fourth Wall, and more. If you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, or anywhere else you find your favorite shows. So without further ado, here's our interview with Rolando Rodriguez, the CEO of Marcus Theatres, where I'm joined by my regular co-hosts, Mike D'Angelo and Brian Farver. Enjoy. Joining us now is Rolando Rodriguez. He's the chairman, CEO, and president of Marcus Theatres, which is the fourth largest theater chain in the U.S., fifth largest in North America. You have close to a thousand screens, am I right? Actually, 1,100 screens. 1,100 screens, yeah. So welcome to the podcast, sir, and we're going to talk some some theater stuff. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Charles. It's a real pleasure to be here with you today. First, I want to start with kind of a general question. The The purpose of this interview is to, to really talk about the current state of the theater industry as we go from 2020 into 2021. So I just wanted to ask you what you think the current state of the theater industry is. Look, I, I would start out by saying, obviously, no different than every consumer-facing business right now. I would categorize this in, as a challenging situation, right? Uh, every consumer-facing business, because of this unfortunate virus that we're dealing with, uh, is causing shutdowns across the entire United States and in many of the states and, and cities and municipalities. So that keeps, you know, there's currently there's about 40% of the theaters that are actually operating in the United States. So think about that, only 40% of the theaters are operating. And that makes it challenging because 
that means that the film companies are hesitant to release their key films in an environment where only 40% of the theaters are open. So when you combine the virus that we're dealing with, this, you know, we're taking every safety measure and health aspects that we can, both as an industry and obviously as Marcus theaters, we think our customers are the most important as well as our associates. But you deal with the virus, you deal with the safety concerns that we're dealing with. We got 40% of our theaters open. We have a challenging environment with not many of the films being released at this point. Uh, and obviously, that puts us in a, a as an industry in a time period that uh, we're trying to obviously stay connected with our consumers, stay connected with our with our guests, stay connected with our with our vendors, stay connected with our associates, uh, and and obviously again. As I rephrased earlier, it's it's no different than every consumer facing business, whether you're in the restaurants, in the bowling, in gyms, you know, you go on down the list in retail. Uh, we're all having a difficult time at this point. That's very true. That being said, though, uh, looking back at 2020, as we as we close out the year, are there any positives that you see that have come out of this year and any lessons that may have been learned, maybe for Marcus specifically, but also for the, the exhibition industry? So the first positive is, Charles, that I'm looking forward to 2021. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 uh, Aren't we all? I, I can tell you that we're all looking forward to turning this but look, there are positives, and I think it's important that we note those, not just as an industry and markets and whatnot. The first one is the blessing that there's actually a solution to this to this virus, right? Let's start there. The fact that there's, you know, a number of vaccines right now. So we have the solution at hand. Now it's a matter of timing of when that vaccine gets, you know, into the general public. And then we can get to hopefully some general uh, sense of normalcy in all industries. But there are other positives. And I would say that it certainly has brought us closer, you know, uh, in thinking about how do we support each other through a very difficult time period, whether that's with friends, whether that's in, in the business environment, and, and whether that's with our associates and keeping an eye on how we're all doing during this time period. I think, you know, in addition to that, I think when you when you think about this year, there are elements that we've learned to your question that will continue and outlast this virus. Meaning, I think things like sanitizers, you know, in in any business environment, I think those are going to long last this, uh, you know, this virus. I think that's a good thing, you know, for to avoid any future viruses or any future illnesses that may be getting passed on. In fact, when people talk about the flu, that was one of the big causes, right? Because people still, you know, would shake hands if they were ill. You know, they wouldn't necessarily properly sanitize their hands. It's also forced the business environment, all businesses out there, and including our industry, to take safety measures to even a higher level uh, and actually look at everything from ventilation systems to sanitation so even though we, we did, I think, a good job in the cleaning services, we stepped that up to even a higher level. And what that means is that it's a much better environment, not only for our consumers, you know, in the present and the future, but also for our own associates, you know, that they're going to be working in even a better place than they were before. So 
look, there's absolute positives that are associated with this. And I would say the final one is the optimist in me, which I think in our particular industry means that there's a glut of movies that have been held back. And so that's why I started by saying I'm looking forward to 2021, because now you've got all this incredible you know, supply of films from 2020 that are going to just hit the market very hard once the vaccine is properly in place and people feel comfortable to come back out. There is going to be so much film out there to watch. Uh, and I can tell you, as not only as a consumer, but part of this industry, I cannot wait to stop watching things on TV. Uh, <laughs> I need to get out. I'm a social being. We're social creatures. We need to be around people. And we're going to have incredible content to go out there and be entertained. Getting back to the, the 2020 of it all, and I was I was one of those people that went out and I, I, I saw Tenet when it came out in, in theaters. I went to the Majestic right over here, and it, it was a very, like, streamlined process. You guys had, like, the, the cleaning process down and making sure all the surfaces weren't, like, nobody had to touch anything. It was a very, like, smooth experience. But with that said, large audiences did not rush back to the theater at that time. Were you expecting that to happen when initially things reopened, or was there a major reason you think there was hesitancy even with all the, the cleaning and, and safety that you put into it? You know, uh, Mike, uh, good question. So thank you for that. But uh, there's no question that, uh, well, there's a couple of things that I would answer on that. Number one, you and I will have to have a side discussion so you can fill me in on the movie Tenet because I, <laughs> I've watched it twice. And, and, and as I spoke to the director myself, I kept saying, Man, I'm still trying to figure out some of the twists and turns that you took, which is basically like playing chess. <laughs> and you I know, you it. and me both, Rolando, me and Mike have this discussion all the time off off mic. <laughs> I am with you. I don't understand this movie, but Mike loves yeah. it. So go figure it out. Yeah. And, and we loved it. And I love the movie. And, and, you know, you start figuring pieces after you watch. But so let's talk about that because it started with that. Right. It starts yeah. with the fact that it was a great movie. But it's like watching a chess game. And I also felt that consumers were ready to just have fun and go in and to watch something that's just fun, makes you laugh and not overly complicated. Look, the director is a genius. Uh, I love him and I, and I love the film. But, you know, I would say that if there would have been a more family friendly, like a Croods that would have came out at that point, I think families were just ready to go. And, and get out in droves and see a movie that was just fun and funny and whatnot. Uh, but regardless, our expectations were certainly, Mike, higher, that sure. we were going to do better because it was the reopening of the industry. But here's the other problem, and, and I will also bring in the global environment into this. When, when Tenet opened up in the international markets, it did even better. And the reason it did that is because it was also combined with other film local product that was made in those countries. They were actually very good films. So now you as a consumer had two, three, four different options. When we opened up Tenet, there was one option. Yep. <laughs> that, that was the only movie that we had in the marketplace. So that also limited our audience in the people that we could reach. And then thirdly, to your point, there was no question, and by the way, there still is obviously, a hesitancy 
by the consumer, uh, when will they go back out, right? I mean, there's people that feel comfortable. And frankly, when they came to see us, when they finally came to see us, Mike, they rated us like 97%. You know, they said, oh my God, all the safety measures you're taking. It's a very safe environment, but it's getting people to understand that and actually experience it, right? Because if mm -hmm. they don't come out and experience it, they have this vision in their mind of crowds and, you know, being too close. And you saw how we were keeping people six feet apart, how yep. we, you know, checkered board our auditoriums to make sure that everybody was seated at least six feet apart from each other. Uh, you know, the sanitation stations everywhere, the, the constant cleaning around. So until people actually saw that, it was a very difficult. And then finally, we just had Tenet. And so therefore, all the other films that came after were really library films, right? Mm -hmm. So great old films, but we're a generation. We're, we're a consumer base that we want to see the latest and greatest. We, we have nostalgic feelings, which are good, but to a point, right? Yeah. We want to see what's next, what's exciting, what's fun, what have I not seen? And that certainly worked against us. Yeah, and I noticed that a lot of those nostalgic, uh, you know, older movies were playing on like the drive-through market that you'd have, you know, set up on the side of the buildings uh, or or whatever it is. How, how much of that moving forward are you going to be doing? Do you think drive-through markets is is something you want to step more confidently into, or is that something you just want to temper and and do for now? You know, I think it was. Uh, I think that was a temporary aspect. Although I will also tell you that we never say never. We may have to look at that again for the summer. For the summer, it brought up an incredible nostalgic effect. Effect, right? Now, all of us being from Milwaukee, we know <laughs> that it's December. <laughs> yeah. And and it's a little cooler. <laughs> and, and so therefore, the nostalgia and the fact that our our theaters reopened, right? So remember yeah. when we were running these uh, pop-up drive-ins at the time, uh, you know, the theaters, the regular theaters were not open. So now the regular theaters are open. And so it's, it's, it's an incredibly positive environment inside of our theaters. Uh, that doesn't take away from the fact that this is a unique element that we learned. Going back to Charles' question, what did we learn? We learned about, you know, that people have a lot of interest in nostalgic and, you know, films that they have this nostalgic feeling that a lot of people that never experienced the drive in before. Right. That said, oh, my God, I'm bringing my kids. This is how I used to watch movies, you know, back when I was a uh, back when I was a kid. So that might be something, uh, Mike, that we might consider, you know, in looking into next summer. And we'll sure. probably evaluate that again. I want to ask, well, so I want to give a little anecdote first. Recently, I was speaking with people who know what I do as as working for the playlist and hosting this podcast, and they were asking me about movie theaters, and, and I was shocked that a lot of them still don't know that movie theaters are actually open. And and the ones that do think that know they're open, a couple of them are still not sure that they're safe, uh, which, you know, understandable, right? You know, everybody's really scared. But you guys, along with the majority of the film industry or the exhibition industry, had the Cinema Safe program this summer. And the, the point behind that was that uh, I guess that was brought on by NATO, which you're also a, a chairperson on, and was to add like a seal of approval and say these theaters pass the test, they're safe. If, if that isn't being 
as as widely known as as we would like do you think that's a, a failure of the marketing of that or uh is there an issue with cinema safe as a protocol that just didn't connect with people no actually uh again another very good question charles and i would say it's i'll answer it in a couple of fronts uh one we're very proud of the cinema safe in fact we had uh, many different scientists and doctors and, and specialists, uh, epidemiologists uh, that actually reviewed the cinema safe. And they were just absolutely, in fact, we took their advice and we actually embellished on top of what they recommended that we would do to make it a safe environment. Uh, and Marcus, we even took it a step further and we created the STAR program, which was basically embellishing even the cinema safe aspect that we also promote. If you go into our website, you'll see that as well. So we developed this program. We had over an incredible uh, sign on by exhibition across the US. Over 34,000 screens are participating in this program. Think about this across the US. We went on a very strong launching program in educational process. And there was a great reception. But here's what happened then. You had Tenet and nothing else followed. Right. <laughs> and so you have to remember that that would be like saying, I'm going to a restaurant, but uh, and it's a steakhouse. And they had steak this week, but the following week and thereafter, all we're serving is salads. Right. And basically, the consumer is heavily, number one, product driven. Right. Number two, the safety protocols kind of reinforce that. And then there's the actual seeing it. Once they experience it and they go, oh, I get it now. So I read about it. I heard about it. I saw it. I, you know, I get it. The problem is we haven't had enough people come through our doors <laughs> right. to actually be able to say, oh, I got it. And part of that is because there's no film product, you know, that we've had to share with our consumers. I think, frankly, that through the holiday period here, even though there's a lot of markets that are closed right now, there's going to be a resurgence of more people coming through. Look, the next two weeks are typically the biggest weeks in, in, in the exhibition industry. And so what that will do is it'll certainly have a lot more people that come through those doors, experience the cinema safe, experience our star program, and by the way, there is no replacement, and Charles, you know this very well, uh, as well as Mike and Brian, there is no replacement for word of mouth, <laughs> yeah. right? That's almost like the seal of approval, right? Because I can say it, I'm saying it now, that it's a fantastic program. There has been, think about the statistic I'm going to give you right now. There hasn't been one case of COVID linked to a movie theater worldwide. And that's because they've taken even the same type of precautions. You know, we're, we know that this is about our business. This is about our customers. This is about our associates. And yet we're not breaking through, right? You know, I, I, I got a good question asked of me today. They go, well, why is it that all of these states that are still closed, right? Think about this for a second. I'm going to be a little philosophical on you today. <laughs> but think about all these states that have closed down, right? I'm not here to judge those governors. I'm not here to judge their protocols and, and they do care about their public. So please know that. But when they close them, they're forcing people to do what? Go to their homes. They party at home. There's, there's no safety measures 
at homes, right? Because actually the statistics have proven that it's really the bulk of these cases are being developed in group gatherings at homes. <laughs> you know, so think about this. If there's nowhere that they can go, then they bring the gatherings to their homes. And, and instead, we're closing down the businesses that are actually taking the extra precautions, asking and really enforcing the six-foot distances, the wearing of the mask, all of the elements that would keep them safe. And yet, you see the spike in many of these states that are already closed. By the way, they keep using us like theaters as, as one of the ones that need to be closed. But think about this. The cases in, in California have spiked. Theaters haven't been open. <laughs> theaters yeah. haven't even been open. Why, why are we using theaters as the ones that are creating the issue? And, and, and again, no linkage of any cases. So we're continuing to try to make our case, both with the state legislators, you know, from the health officials. And by the way, we're following every, on top of the Cinema Safe, on top of the STAR program. Please know that we're working with every health regulator in each state and city and also listening to their additional guidelines and whatnot. So we are taking every available precaution that we can uh, to do that. I was uh, also wanted to ask because NATO, which for those listening stands for the National Association of Theater Owners, is a an organization that looks out for all theater owners, including Marcus, again. And it seems like the messaging coming from NATO has been about the collapse of the theatrical windows and, and things that are, are, are huge issues, don't get me wrong. But what I what we may be missing is that idea of the value of actually going to a cinema and seeing a the quote-unquote theatrical experience. Do you think that's something that should be marketed more, or you know, is is that something just inherent that people know? No, I, I think uh, I, to your point, uh, I think it needs to be marketed more. It will be marketed more. Uh, here's what I would say about uh, you know this this recent uh, you know obviously a lot of media take on the collapse of the windows and what's happening there. I would say a couple of things. Uh, number one, I think we frame this as a COVID time period and there will be a post-COVID time period, right? So there are obviously a lot of states that people have to sit at home. Think about the statistic I'm gonna share. I think I've already shared it. Only 40% of the theaters are opening and open in the US. So there's a lot of states, there's a lot of folks you know, in the US that have no accessibility to go to a large screen right now. We're working very closely with our film partners out there, and we understand that they have economical challenges just like they, like we do during these times. And they're trying to obviously monetize some of these businesses, right, and their, or, or their film products. So they're selling them to some of the streaming services. We get that, right? We understand it's a tough time. They need to have revenues come through the door. So I would call that the, the COVID time period. And then there will be the post-COVID time period where there's going to be I think, I, I believe in my heart uh, and in my mind that there's an incredible pinned up demand, right? Of not just going to the movies, but think about this, going to a theme park, going to, uh, you know, going shopping with your friends. I, I, I think all of us uh, are trying to do our best to ensure that we remain safe, that we do the right things, right? And so within that, we're keeping ourselves locked up. We're keeping ourselves at a distance. We're not doing uh, social events. 
uh, as much as we could. But we're social creatures. And as soon as that happens, I think people will be back out. So that's number one. The second one, there's an economic reason, uh, right? So if you're a film company, you recognize that 50% of your revenues, I'm talking worldwide, from, from what I would call the life cycle of that film product comes from theaters. So why would you risk 50% of the overall revenues of what you would call theatrical, you know, premium video on demand, video on demand, uh, electronic sale through network revenue. When you take that, that's the life cycle, right, of a film. Why would you risk that 50% of your revenues that you would try to damage that? And I think that the majority of the film companies recognize that. And, and they know that that then has to come to a different place post-COVID on how we work together. And again, they're not mutually uh, exclusive. I think that when you look at streaming and you look at the theatrical experience, two different things, like you said, Charles, it's you're around social. You know, it's we can all pick up the food, right? But we can actually we get a better enjoyment of being with our friends in a restaurant and actually having that social experience. There's no question that when you're in a room in, a, in one of our auditoriums and you're sitting around with another 150 people and you're watching that film on the screen and you get that laughter and you're sharing that laughter with another 150 people, that's an emotional, that's a, that's a culture aspect that we share together uh, that you can't replace. Think about sitting right now on your couch by yourself and that funny line comes around. I don't know if it's happened to you. And I'll laugh, and then I'm looking around to see if anybody's <laughs> laughing with me. Well, there's nobody except my dog. Well, that sometimes <laughs> happens to me at the theater, too. I got to <laughs> Focusing on a few things that you said, uh, you know, we've seen AMC. Uh, we've seen Cinemark make deals with, like, Universal and some other studios uh, over the past few months to – release films as soon as like 17 days after their release. Do you think something like that is viable for the exhibition industry? Like what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, I, I, I here's what I would say, Brian. Uh, I think that the typical theatrical model will change, right? Uh, you know, it used to be just to walk you through a little bit of his, history. It used to be over a year from the time a movie was released, you know, before it went to another type of medium. L you know, more recently, pre-COVID, that was typically 90 days, you know, before it moved into what you would call getting into the DVD market. You know, it was probably about 72 days when it got to the, the electronic sale through. And then there's this new coin premium video on demand. That's the 17 days that you're talking about. What that means is think about this. You're going to pay $20, you know, to see that film. And in some cases like Disney, it'll be $30. So that's, that starts getting to be a pretty high price to watch at home. Uh, I think anyway, I mean, I, I think if I'm going to pay that kind of price, I'd rather watch it in, the way the movie was meant to be seen in a large screen with with the best sound uh, in a social environment. 
Uh, but there are people out there that are willing to pay that $20 or $30. Uh, I think if you were to ask Universal, our friends at Universal, they would say there are certain smaller films that they want to do that with, right, to, to maximize their marketing dollars. But there's going to be blockbuster films that they would hurt themselves if they do that, right? So like a Jurassic World, you won't see that after 17 or 20 days on a premium video demand. That may be more like 45 or 50 or 60 days, right? Because remember, it's economics for them as well. All of these other windows following the theatrical, that's their windows. We don't share in that. We're in the theatrical business. All those other windows, that's their economics. And they would be actually shrinking their own economics, right? Because there's the premium video on demand. There's the electronic sale through. So think about this. Now, if you pay the premium video on demand for 20 bucks, what's your interest in buying the electronic sale through? And so, so it's an evolving dialogue. Uh, I think that a lot of these uh, deals that are being made are understanding. And in fact, I would tell you that that's so for instance, uh, and that's been documented. And, and if you read through the media, they've, they've shared this, that uh, basically it's, it's now 30 days. It can't go any earlier than 30 days if it's a film that opens to over $50 million. So it goes back to my Jurassic World example, right? They don't want to damage the economics or the brand of these blockbusters. It may work with some of the other smaller films. Yeah, and I will say the you know the whole premium thing, it really does have an effect. But when you have large families, that's where it starts to become more cost effective and you start to look at the, the cost benefits of both ways. But getting back to, to 2021, the outlook here beyond what we've just talked about, how do you ensure the success of the exhibition, all of your exhibition partners and, and theaters? What do they need to do to, to make each other feel comfortable? What do we need to do to make audiences feel comfortable? What, what responsibility beyond that do you think government has to, to theaters at this point? So a multitude uh, of, of uh, ways to answer you that. And, and I think it's there isn't one particular answer. So there's a multitude of answers. So number one, uh, I would say from a governmental perspective, let's get those vaccines out as quickly as yeah. possible. And that's for every business. That That's a must. Uh, as we track this, and as you can imagine, we're tracking this very closely, there'll be 20 million people in the U.S. that will be vaccinated by the end of December. There's an estimated 30 million people that will be vaccinated in January. And that will continue to escalate as obviously production picks up. Uh, and there's there's actually two vaccines that you guys may not have. Uh, well, one you've heard about, which is Moderna. And then there's the Oxford vaccine that's about to go out. The good news about those two is that they can remain at room temperature with a Pfizer one has to be frozen. And that will make it a lot more to be able to get into the general public a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. So that's the optimism about the entire global nature of business. And so that's first responsibility. Second responsibility with government that we're obviously doing a lot of lobbying on is trying to provide us with some level of grants or financial support. Because a lot of the film, uh, a lot of the exhibitors at this point in time are struggling look, this is this is a time period where every week we're just trying to lose less money than being closed. Think about that business model. 
And, and so any financial support helps us not only maintain the business, but guess what? Keep our associates employed. <laughs> you know, we're an employer, you know, uh, of people. And so it, it's a lot of people are hurting and this is a way to, you know, take care of that. So I think there's there's a responsibility from the government on that to provide some level of financial support as they're doing with many other businesses. The third piece, which you also alluded to, Mike, is what's our responsibility, right? Our responsibility in exhibition is we got to make sure that that cinema safe and our star program and Marcus is absolutely dialed in and executed perfectly. Because even though after the vaccines are out there, it's about consumer confidence, right? And consumers are going to say, yeah, I got my shot, but boy, I'm not about ready to really take risks, right? There's going to be a ramp up period where a lot of the consumers are going to say, well, let me just test some things out. Let me see when I start getting back out. And we're going to have to make sure that the marketing aspect coupled with all of the major films coming out, coupled with the reinforcement of incredible, uh, you know, health and safety uh, protocols that we execute on, all of those things are going to happen. And by the way, the final item that I would say is going to take time. It's not yeah. going to be a light switch. It's not going to be like I can tell you, uh, Mike, hey, March, light switch went on. It's going to be March. There's a bunch more film that comes out. And then there will be walking and then, you know, slight jogging and then sprinting. <laughs> and I think that's kind of how it's going to move through. We, we're talking your responsibility, government's responsibility. What responsibility do the studios have? Now, we talked about this glut of movies that's scheduled for 2021, but we've already seen a couple films that were coming in January and February move even further. So even 2021 is becoming a bit muddled as, you know, everything kind of changes. What At what point do you think the studios just have to trust you guys? Or is well, that what it takes? Yeah, actually, uh, you know, it's not a question of trust. It's actually a question of economics again. And so actually it's not as muddled as people think now, right? So think about the vaccine was good news, bad news. <laughs> and, and by the way, I mean bad news as to when they're releasing their films. Right. Please know it's, it's good news, good news, <laughs> good news on vaccine. <laughs> but it's bad news on when they're releasing their films. Think about this. So now you're a film company. When do you want to release your film? Do you want to release it on January, February, or do you want to release it in March if you had those three choices? When do you think there'll be a greater number of vaccines out in the marketplace? Oh, absolutely, March. Yeah. March. So in their case, that's exactly to your point, Charles. They're all looking and saying, well, you know, shoot, if I can move my movie from January to March, you know, there'll be a lot more people vaccinated, right? There'll be a lot more trust and consumer confidence and my movie will do better. Now that's tough news for us, right? Because <laughs> that keeps us in January and February with limited films to get us to March. And if you look at March, by the way, that's not as muddy. March now is getting loaded with film. So what you're seeing is that the film companies see the progression of the vaccine and when will it be more into the general public? And then that's when the ramp up occurs. So hopefully so, that's your question. So yeah. So you're uh, not you personally, but in your in your like speaking for the industry, so to speak, that's OK. Uh, obviously no, not no. OK. No, no but I mean, it's, it's something that's understandable. I should yeah, say. But it, look, it, it's 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 understandable from a business perspective. 
but it's not, it, it's, it's, we're, we're certainly having good conversations with our partners to say, look, you have to understand that there has to be a level of sharing of this risk. What's the risk right now? All of the exhibitors are open. We're spending a lot of money to stay open. I just shared with you that yeah. many exhibitors were operating under the premise of losing less money than being closed. Think about that. Yeah. And, and, and that means that we're keeping the art form alive. We're keeping the businesses open. So when you start releasing your films, theaters are open. They're ready to go. So we're making an investment. We're asking them to at least, look, you don't have to put all your blockbusters, but put a couple of films in, in January and February, that at least keeps us going. And then we know that starting March, you know, we hit a lot harder, but we still need something in January and February. So that's part of what the NATO group spends a lot of time on, uh, Charles, is obviously networking, having these discussions, and trying to work with our film companies as we are as well as individual uh, exhibitors with the film companies to say, look, we need you to play some film, some film product. It would be like you going, if you're a restaurant and saying, look guys, I need steaks. <laughs> you know, I, I need to have a couple of steaks, you know, to sell next week or I got a problem as a steakhouse. Kind of looking um, or talking at an industry-wide level. I mean, what is the bit of a transition here? What is the effect that the rise of streaming services like, Netflix, Amazon, Disney Plus has had on the theater industry. I mean, do you feel there's a way theaters can thrive along with the streamers? I, I absolutely think that we can thrive along with streamers. Look, here's here's uh, what I would say about uh, streaming. I'll, I'll give kind of some of the pluses and I think some of the opportunities that I feel that they will they will face. Number one, streaming will never replace the social experience, you know, or being that we talked about uh, here several times and the going out experience. So I think and, and then there's a financial element that you get from the theatrical that's hard to replace in a streaming world. Remember, in a streaming world, you're paying $15 a month for that service. You know, when you go to a theater, you're paying 12 to $15 per ticket, right? So mathematically, you're in essence killing a particular window per se that's financially lucrative to those studios. They keep a, the bulk of those funds that come through. So that's one piece of it. The second one is if you think about Disney and how they spoke about their streaming service, they're actually creating content for streaming that is offshoots of the brand success that were theatrical. There is no... Ask yourself, when was the last time that you can tell me today what Netflix film do you recall or talk to your friends in conversations that was made in for Netflix? You know, you don't have the star, you know, uh, walk with the stars. You don't have the premieres. You don't have the, the television shows talking about it. You don't have the, the actual social environment that creates that you, you're talking and sharing with your friends. That's, we are a critical marketing launch to those, to those others. And if you look at Disney and what they talked about, they're creating like 30 different episodes just for their streaming service. And they're offshoots of the main product. And they again committed to the theatrical experience because they recognize the need to that. Now, will other studios like what Warners did concern us? Yeah, it does. 
and it's problematic when they said they're going day and day with streaming all of 2021. Their general feeling is, from their perspective, that the COVID situation will still be going through the end of the year. I, you know, I, I hope that's not the case. We don't think the majority of the people don't think that's the case. But, you know, everybody is entitled to their own opinion and thought process. Uh, and I think that both the reason I say they both coexist, uh, Brian, is because, remember, you have the theatrical that kind of launches the brand. Right. And then you have the streaming that has the capability of creating its long lasting life cycle and in addition do offshoots. Right. I mean, what's the baby Yoda is what they keep talking about, right, <laughs> on, on a constant basis. You think about baby Yoda. I mean, how did that come about? And, and so those elements are very important. And the final item why I think that they both coexist is because there's still other windows that are very important to, to the film companies. And we talked about them. The premium video on demand, the video on demand, the uh, electronic sell-throughs. These are all monetary windows to them that if they collapse them and all you have is theatrical and streaming, how are you going to make up that shortfall? And then the final item I would say about streaming that I think it's becoming overly saturated. Let's think about this. How many streaming services do you want to name off? And how many streaming services can any regular consumer carry, right? At 10 or $15 a pop, how many are you going to carry? You know, are you going to carry three? Are you going to carry six? There's going to be potentially eight to 10. I think they're actually going to really heavily compete against each other. And, and I think there's going to be a challenge for them that at some point in time, some of those are going to have to go away. My opinion. Yeah, there's definitely going to be a big couple, you know, two or three. And then, you know, there's the others. <laughs> that kind and of that's what they're fighting about right now. Yeah. They're trying to figure out how do they land in that, you know, first three slots, right? Uh, and whether that's, you know, whether that's Disney, Netflix, uh, you know, maybe HBO Max, or is that Apple? I mean, look, Apple is worth $2.4 trillion. I mean, uh, the last time I checked, they could get up in the morning and buy any company that they want. You know? So, uh, you <laughs> I'm know, available, Apple. Trust me, we're available as well. Yeah. We're available <laughs> <laughs> Let's kind of switch gears. Talk about movies. We all love films in this medium. Uh, can you tell us uh, a couple of your favorite films of 2020 besides besides Tenet, obviously? And and what are the the movies for next year, the theatrical releases for 2021 that you're really excited about? Well, look, I I, I think it's it's tough to say about 2020 because there's been hardly any films that I can actually point to in 2020. Uh, I did love Tenet, as I shared earlier, and, and thought it was a great film. And by the way, Croods is a very good film for families that I would certainly encourage them to go out and see. It's a lot of fun, uh, you know, that, that, that should do well. But look, as, if I look at next year, there is a couple in my mind that are top of my list. If you're a Marvel fan, you gotta go see Black Widow, right? If you're a Bonds fan, you got to see the Bond film. I got to tell you, I saw an extended trailer on the Bond film. Uh, they had a special uh, a prior pre-COVID on this. It looks absolutely astonishing. I think that that film 
is going to be incredible, and that's scheduled for April. Uh, so, and then I got to tell you, you guys will probably get a chuckle out of this, and I'm going to show my age. My all-time favorite movie that every time I'm clicking through, I stop and watch is Top Gun. And oh, yeah. Top Gun 2 is coming out this summer. So I am all over Top Gun. So those are a couple there for you to think about. You will get nary a chuckle from anybody on this podcast about nope. Top Gun yeah. Maverick. We <laughs> are excited. I tell uh-huh. you, that music, every time it's the jet and they got the music going. Danger I Zone. Just, I'm, I'm there. I'm there. Yes. Yes. And, and you know, hopefully uh, we can all join the summer volleyball season and and act out top gun together um, there you go <laughs> yeah uh so we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here i wanted to to thank you again uh mr rodriguez for joining us and answering the questions this is a a really tough time for for your industry but obviously everybody but as far as as theaters go we're all we're all rooting for movie theaters. I think that's important to to let people know. Everybody, uh, even if you're a fan of streaming services, there's there really is no uh, replacement for that communal theatrical experience. And uh, I think it's important that once everybody feels safe to to support you guys in any way possible, not just Marcus, but the mom and pop places uh, as well as as the chains. So. Thanks for joining us and thanks for asking uh, or answering some some of the tougher questions. Uh, I know it's not fun stuff to talk about, but it's important. So, well, thank you so much, uh, Charles, Mike, and Brian. Really appreciated the time and and yeah. again to all your fans, I would tell them, uh, you know, give us a shot. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at the safety measures that we take. And and uh, look, we we care about you. We care about all of our customers. We care about our associates. And so, believe me, when we when we open those doors, we care about our associates deeply. They're like family, and we need to make sure that those environments are safe. And equally as important is for all of our guests. So thank you for thinking about Marcus, and I wish all of you a, a tremendous holiday season uh, and have a lot of fun. Take care. Oh, you as well. Happy thank holidays. You. Thank right. you. Bye. Bye.